0: Happy Chinese New Year once again to everybody. Um, So as we are celebrating Chinese New Year, the thing that we most, almost everyone does every time we come to Chinese New Year is eating. We'll always have our New Year's Eve dinner together, and then we'll have our New Year's lunch or dinner, and then we'll go to our relatives and friends, and then we'll have more dinners, and... And some people actually said that you you gain more weight over New Year's than during Christmas. That's how much we eat as Chinese people. And in my former life, uh, working in the kitchen, this especially resonates with me, especially when it comes to a time when uh, you have different festivities and people go to restaurants and they need to get food and eat. And a lot of times there are three things that they usually complain about when they complain at the kitchen. and So they want things to be delicious. They want things to be cheap. But in the same time, they want it to be fast. And usually, you don't have all three, or there's a trade-off. So if you want something that's delicious and cheap, you better be lining up for it, as you know. If you go to like ramen shops or those really good places, you have to line up for a whole hour for it. Or if you want something fast and cheap, chances are they don't taste good or they're not really healthy. Or if they're delicious and fast, they probably would cost you a lot of money. But if you want all three, usually they don't exist. But if they do, they will probably give you diabetes. So there's a trade-off. But when you think about that, a lot of times you want the best thing for the least amount of effort and you want to get the best result from what you invest in and sometimes it's the same with other aspects in life where last time I talked to you guys about this, um, this little game uh, on the cell phone called Candy Crush and there was actually a recent report that there was uh, a $516 million revenue last year from, from this game called Candy Crush and it's a free game. So you're back back to ask, how did they make so much money? So when you use up your lives you can either get your friends to get you more lives or you can pay to have extra turns to play this game. And apparently some people get impatient and they decide to just pay the money so they can keep playing this game. And that number might not sound very uh, relatable, but when you Narrow it down. It actually means they make $850,000 a day from people paying to play on this game. And so the next time you see someone playing this game, you you should tell them and warn them, don't get addicted. You might end up spending a lot of money on it. So why am I saying all these things? I think a lot of times when we do get into the issue of prayer, you, you can't help it as you're learning the ropes on how to pray you start asking, what is the best way of praying? Or or even, does the perfect prayer exist? And sometimes, the term that uh, on the internet we use nowadays is, is called the meta of prayer. The most effective tactic available. So, is there a way that's the most efficient? That the, for the least amount of time, you can pray the most effectively? or Or even, are there certain words that you, you can say then it will be a better prayer or, or pray for certain things and then you have to always end with in Jesus name we pray or we pray in the most precious name and then amen and then that would be a good prayer or, 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 or even to the point where you look at how people pray and then just copy whatever they're praying and then that would be a good prayer but a little disclaimer that uh Structured prayer aren't bad in essence. That if people need to use that structure to guide them and to help them reflect on what they're praying, more power to them and, and is a good thing also. But it shouldn't be the only way either. And it shouldn't be um, the way that guides you and determines how you structure or even how your attitude to prayer is about. And when you look into the Bible, especially the passage we are looking at today in Matthew chapter 6, you realize that Jesus actually talks a lot about prayer and the need to pray and have a relationship with God. And so when you look at uh, this section in the Gospel of Matthew uh, that we know as the Sermon on the Mount, you realize that Jesus gave a lot of instructions Uh, along with stories and analogies as to how we are to live out this life now that we are part of the kingdom of God. Now that we're part of the kingdom of God, how do we live out this life? What are things that we need to change from the old ways? What are things that we need to change our attitudes about? And so when you look at Matthew chapter 6, it highlights three different parts especially, about things that people are already doing that he tries to put us in the right mindset.
1: And so these three
0: things that he talked about was giving, praying, and fasting. And so why these three in particular? So if you look into the culture at the time, if you study how people expressed their faith back then, you realize that these are the three tenets that Pharisees teach the common people to live a life of of being a follower of God, that these are the things that you have to do in order to be in the good of God. And Jesus especially had nothing good to say about these Pharisees usually. And even in this chapter, when he talks about these three things, he actually identified identified these people as hypocrites. So the original word hypocrite in Greek was meant to describe people who were back in the day in ancient ancient Greece when they were having uh, dramas and plays where the actors were all men. So this is a time when it was on a patriarchal society where only men were performing on the stage. And so you're you're asked the question, what if there's a female character? How do they distinguish that? Do they just talk in a very high tone and have a female voice? Well, back in the day, when they portrayed different characters, they'd be wearing this giant mask on the face to describe that this is the character they're portraying. And usually they would use different facial expressions to show... A particular trait. So if the person is a very protagonist and good person, then they would have certain facial expression to show the righteousness of the character. Or if it's a villain, they would show some wicked kind of facial expression to demonstrate that this is a villain. If you don't catch the drift already, that this guy is a bad guy. And so the reason why they describe these people as hypocrites is because they wear a mask in front of them. So what they're portraying on the outside is not who they really are in the inside. And this is essentially what Jesus is accusing these Pharisees, that what they're doing on the surface do not reflect on who they really are and what their attitudes are in the inside. And two reasons, according to ancient cultures, as to why hypocrites are the way they are is because first they are people with hardened hearts. So they are unwilling to see the flaws in their own self and they can only point fingers outside to other people. They can only see that they're not doing <coughs> things that are properly, things that are, are, are what, what they're supposed to to live out and when they themselves can't do these things, They'll have excuses to say that it's the other people's fault. It's the the environment's fault and not their own. Another reason why these people are hypocrites is because these people are arrogant people. They think they know the way. Only they know the way to get to God. That Only they know how to be righteousness. And so other people and what they do (coughs) are not good enough. That only they can teach other people and they can tell other people how, how bad they are at living out their lives. <coughs> and so this is the climate that Jesus is trying to describe what prayer is about, that there are these hypocrites who are trying to teach people how to pray when they are getting to the wrong direction and getting to the heart of prayer. And so today, if you did not get anything at all from this passage, which sometimes it is the case when, when we deal with sermons, if you don't get anything, at the very least, just remember that prayer is a response and not a ritual. That prayer is a response, not a ritual. And we'll unpack that along the way. So if you look at the passage in Matthew 6, it talks about how Jesus were telling the disciples not to pray in an intersection in front of everybody and to not be babbling with a lot of different meaningless words like pagans do. But instead, he talked about praying in secret and avoid praying in repetitions. So why does he have to emphasize that? So, for starters, so when people or when Pharisees do pray back in that time, they make themselves known to others that they're praying. That they would spend an effort to go to a visible location. At least some of the Pharisees do. And they would make a scene almost to tell people that they're praying. And part of that is to show how righteous they are. That by expressing that maybe it's part of insecurity that they're not sure that by showing their outward appearance that they are doing these things that they can tell other people that i'm righteous that i'm doing the right thing and that all these people are not uh, in that uh, they're inadequate and what about babbling on and doing repeat repetition as you're praying so Back in the Roman times, when people were worshiping pagan gods and Roman emperors, they used really long and elaborated addresses when they talk or when they pray to these gods and emperors. So especially for emperor worship, so this is an example pulled up from a historical account of how people pray in the name of an emperor. So this is how they begin, the emperor Caesar Galerius, Valerius, Maximanus, Invictus, holder of tribunal authority for the twentieth time, Emperor for the nineteenth time, consul for the eighth time, Tater, Patrice Pro Council, and so on and so on and so on. So they actually try to throw as many words and names. And this is just to call onto the name of the God. They haven't even started praying about what they want. And and they're just trying to 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 think that the longer their prayer is, the more words they throw, the more fancy words they say, the more the prayer would be more effective. And you might think this is so remote, like I, I, I can't relate to that. But even in other religions nowadays, when you look at for for example, Buddhism, they would use a really, really long name to call onto Buddha or or, or these different kinds of Buddhist uh deities in order to to have an effective prayer. And so, underneath all these, all that they're doing, they're trying to go for the same goal and the same purpose. They think that by doing these things, by fasting, they are able to cleanse themselves and so they are able to be holy and they can draw themselves closer to God. And by following the laws, the instructions of the Torah, and to pray to God in a regular time, in a regular form, they are able to be more uh, proper and because they're following what's instructed to them. And by giving, and by following these instructions to, to, to give to the needy and the poor, they're able to be righteous. And by doing all these things then, they expect that they will be able to receive eternal life from God. And so by essence, these things, even nowadays, we still do. We, we, we give, we, we pray, and to some extent sometimes we fast and, and we try to use that to discipline ourselves. So these things are not bad in essence. Even Jesus said, these are good things. But the problem is when your attitudes are not set in the right place. So when your attitude is shifted from these things to when you say, when I fast, when I pray, and when I give, then I deserve the reward. That is about me. That is all about me. Now when we do these things then, God cannot turn away from me. That He has to reward me with something good because I did my share of the load. And this is the core of what Jesus is trying to tackle in the disciples' hearts. That it's not about just doing a bunch of work, doing a bunch of rituals, and to do them properly. Then if I do these things, I should deserve to get these rewards. And as I think more about this, as I think about this whole issue with motives and prayer, a good parallel in today's terms would be something that, when I was working in the restaurant industry, this is something that haunts us, well, maybe not to me since I'm just a lowly cook, but to restaurant industry, this thing haunts people all the time. And this is what we know as as the Michelin stars. So you know that these things are powerful, that people would flock to a restaurant if they have the recognition of having these stars to the point where if they have three stars the guide would tell you that it's actually worth purposely traveling flying over to this place just to have the food and dine there and to restaurants sometimes it's a blessing so if you all of a sudden get awarded a star or even more you'll be famous overnight and people would purposely line up for hours or make reservations half a year in advance or even years in advance, just to come and try your food. But at the same time, sometimes it also acts as a curse. That you have probably heard stories where chefs would commit suicide when they lost a star, when they have a star taken away from them. Or if restaurants actually get closed down because of the pressures of meeting these demands to, to maintain and keep their stars. And so on, 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 this, on the slide here, you'll see two different stories. So on the left, this is a woman in Thailand. So recently they started having Michelin star guides for Thailand and this lady who is a street hawker was awarded a star and so as a result, it, she got really famous and people start coming to this little food shack and they would line up for two hours just to have her, her pet tie and at first, it might sound like, oh, good, Like she's going to get a lot of business. She actually hated it. And she <coughs> publicly contacted the committee and to asked to have the stars taken back. She doesn't want the stars anymore because of the pressure. And she, she even shared that. It gets to the point because she's famous that when she cooks, she wears a ski mask to cover the smoke and the steam. And people would come not even to buy food. They would just crowd around to take pictures of her cooking with that ski mask. And she finds that really distracting from her wanting to just cook good food to people who appreciate it. And then on the right, this is a Sebastian Bas, uh, Brass And this is a French restaurant, a three-star Michelin star restaurant, where the, the chef asked to not have the star because of the pressure to live up to the name he just inherited the restaurant from his father and he feels that there's way too much pressure on him to maintain stars and and for this to work, the Michelin Star Committee would come in secret so you never know which day they're coming to to taste your food and you never know if they would come on a random day and you might not have a good day and you can't experiment and you can't do different things to, 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 to reach uh, to go beyond the boundaries of cooking and to pursue that, <coughs> that purpose of trying to cook good food and to, to bless people around you. And so it gets to a point even, <coughs> a chef once says that the places that cook for the sake of stars will be the first to lose the stars. The place that cooks for the sake of stars will be the first to lose the stars so that's a really long elaborate illustration but what I'm trying to say is that sometimes this is what we do with prayer that when we try to pray at first we might get that glimpse and joy and we, we, we sense that intimacy of God but over time the more you started serving the more you started uh, somehow getting your face out there and you, you, you start praying publicly you started praying during worship, or in public occasions, you start to build up that reputation, perhaps, that, oh, like, these people think I'm very good at praying, then they keep asking me to pray. And you get pressured. You think that, okay, I need to better script my prayer, or I better uh, write out and think my prayer, or I have to pray in a certain way to maintain certain expectations. And over time, you're no longer preoccupied with trying to draw each other into the presence of God. Instead, you're just worried about praying a good prayer, that people would acknowledge that it's a good prayer. And, and as a result, you get so caught up and, and you feel that you need to pray in a certain way in order to please people, in order to please God. And, and you're no longer worrying about whether you're in a good relationship with God in the first place. And so, what Jesus is trying to teach us in this passage is the fact that when we pray, it's not about the ritual of prayer. It's not about speaking the right words. It's not about saying the right things. It's not about praying the right items. But rather, it's a response to that relationship we have with Him. It's a response of the intimacy that we have with God. And so, when we talk about prayer, it is something that is Spirit-led, that as you have this relationship with God, with, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, that you can't help but let Him guide you into this state of wanting to spend time and to have that intimacy with him. And as we go into this passage, this is the context that Jesus uses before he teaches us the most famous prayer in the whole Bible, the Lord's Prayer. That Jesus is not trying to say, just recite this exact prayer, and that would be the perfect prayer. And if you pray exactly these words, then things will go well. It will be effective and this is what God wants. But that's not what Jesus is trying to say here. For for us, we know that Jesus was born as a Jew. And so he went through that education as a Jewish person. And when you look at the structure and a lot of terms used in this prayer, you realize that a lot of what's in the Lord's Prayer is very close to other Jewish prayers in the time. They, they use really similar wording and structures and, and, and even vocabulary. But what sets apart from the Lord's Prayer, from all these Jewish prayer is to show the attitude and the intimacy that's in the prayer. The most powerful thing in the Lord's Prayer is actually the first word in the prayer by using the word Abba. This is a term that um, in Aramaic, the language that Jesus speaks, it's the word they use when they have a close relationship with their father. That there are all these other words that they can use to address um, the, uh, your your dad, but this is the word when you're in in privacy, that you're with your father and you're trying to show your closeness with your dad this is the term that you usually use kind of like when we are in today's time and we call our dad daddy instead of the more formal address of father or, or props or or, or "or my I don't know what else we use but the ter- the point is Jesus is trying to show us that prayer is about intimacy with the one you're praying to and then it talks about the attitude of prayer. That it starts off with what God has done, not what I have done. What God desires to happen in this world, not my desires or will to happen on earth as it is in heaven. And then on the second stanza, it specifically talks about God's provision, what God is doing to us specifically, the daily provision of what we need the need to forgive us and to protect us from, from the desires and temptations of this world. And then it was at the end that we have to respond, that we forgive those who trespass against us. So it's not about what we have done to deserve this relationship. It's not what we have done to get favor with God, but it's all about what God has done for us first and foremost. And then, because of that, we respond to his call. And so if a prayer is spirit-led then, it will automatically force us to to have a prayer that is Christ-driven, a prayer that is centered on what Christ has teached us to live out. And when it's a prayer that is Christ-driven, you can't help but have a prayer that is God-oriented, that what you pray for when you have a good relationship and intimacy with the Father, you can't help that all your praying and all your desiring align with what God is wanting and desiring to happen in this world. And so you don't have to impose yourself as to what to pray sometimes. Like what Uncle Henry was sharing, sometimes it's hard to pray in public, or sometimes it's to just pray at all at times when we're dry spiritually when it's uh, when when it's hard times when things don't go our way we find really hard to muster that strength to to even engage in a a relationship with with our God but if we first let go of that need to be about ourselves that need to satisfy what is for me then we can let the spirit come in and, to, and to, to bring us into a state that Jesus has taught us about a prayer that is spirit led Christ driven and God oriented and so prayer is an act of response and prayer is definitely not a ritual Therefore, your prayer is not a, a ritual. Its Effectiveness is not about how well you pray. Because for a ritual, it's all about how proper you do certain things, certain uh, taboos that you avoid. And if you, and if you comply to all these things, then you're expecting a reward. But if prayer is a response instead, then it's not about how well you do something but how you show and how you desire to draw into that relationship, to, to be in the right attitude because of what someone else has done to you. And so to close off, I'd just like to share a story of how it looks like when we're in that relationship of prayer with God. So back then when I took cooking school, I always felt that, okay, I, I have all this skill set that I've learned, so I should respond and and cook something for my parents. But being me, we like to procrastinate a lot. I always come up with excuses. I'm like, oh, well, uh, it's too much work to prep, and it's too much to deal with, and I'll do it another time. I'll do it another time. And I keep postponing it. And finally, I come to a time where I said, I really should cook. And so I made the effort to go through all that and and cook what I, I learned from my parents. And somehow it didn't work out that things I wanted to cook did not taste the way I wanted to be, and it ended up not tasting very well. But I was like, well, I already made it. We have to eat it. So I put it on the table and told my parents, okay, well, I tried, and it wasn't the best, so just don't take it. Uh, as an offense, I'm not trying to give you bad food or something, but they were really happy, they were just really grateful, and and what my dad told me was, it doesn't really matter what you cook me, as long as it's not poisonous poisonous and I won't die from eating it, as long as it's edible uh, it's more about you willing to make that effort to spend time with me, that all I really want to to is to just sit down and have that chance to to, to engage in dialogue and to learn about your day and just want to spend time with you. And I think this is exactly what prayer is about, that God has always desired to draw into a relationship with us. That It's not so much about waiting to have that good prayer and praying the right thing, but rather God just wants us to spend time, just sit down and... I just want to learn about your day, even though I know already, but I want to hear from you and I want to listen to you and I want to have a relationship with you. And so now as the worship team is coming back up and lead us to a time of response, I just want to use this time as a way to reflect and even as a time of reflective prayer and to think about how have your relationship with God been lately? Have you had a chance to draw yourself closer to God? And Has your prayer life been dried up to a point where you're doing it because you feel like you have to do it? And, and to just use that time to think, how can I have a relationship with God again? How do I draw closer with God through, through that intimacy, that response that I would like to crave for with God?